Just a reminder, our podcast deals with crimes that are often violent and graphic in nature, so listener discretion is advised. So when in doubt, leave the kids out. Now, please let us take you back in time. Hello again. Welcome back to Old Time Crime Gals. That is the correct word. <laughs> Our correct name is Melissa here with Shanna. Yep. And so we are here for another week. This is episode 21. Thank and you for joining us. Yep, oh. Last week, my head wasn't on straight. So it was, was, awesome. little, it was your little... birthday week last week. Oh, it was my birthday week. Yes. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. Melissa gave me a gift that she handmade. So I really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. I like bisons, so she gave me a bison um, crocheted stuffed animal. So I loved it. But yes, I was a little bit like off last week, so I was... might be a little off today. I'm like running on two hours of sleep. Yeah. Um, it was one of those days where it's like, is it bedtime yet? Please. Yeah, I'm ready to go to sleep. <laughs> um, but so last week we told you the story of Dorothy Scott from California. And she was on the receiving end of multiple calls from a secret admirer that eventually turned deadly. And so the killer tortured the family for four years after she was abducted and killed um, by calling the family and taunting the mom. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and check it out. Because today's story is just a little bit similar. Um, but it's a whole new level of torture for this family. So we're going to talk about Amy Billig. A 17-year-old from Coconut Grove, Florida, who disappeared without a trace on March 5, 1974. Her mother, Sue, was tortured by cryptic phone calls by an unfamiliar male voice. He would taunt her, occasionally throwing out clues that would send her on a wild goose chase to the depths of shady bars, including the seedy underbelly of the outlaw biker gang and even prisons to interview people. Wow. So there wasn't any lead that she wouldn't follow to bring back her little girl. As long as she had hope that she was still alive, she would keep trying. That says a lot about her being a mother. And I think I would do similar. I would do the best I could to try to find my child if she was taken. And in 1974, I mean, when I grew up, it, it just, it, you just didn't, things like that didn't happen around where I live, but it did still happen. And mm -hmm. especially now that we have more, as we've talked about before, more avenues with social media and just knowing what's going on around the world um, around us. So, yeah. So she was 17. Yeah. She was a popular 17 year old high school student in Coconut Grove, Florida. And she lived there and with her parents, Ned and Susan, and her younger brother, Josh. And so she really loved music. She wrote poetry. She took photos. She was very artsy, folksy. That was the kind of community they were they lived in. Um, she was a vegetarian. She stuck to her strict diet, um, which is important for later. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> I wonder if her parents were vegetarian because... You just wouldn't think 17-year-old in Florida, but like you said, it was the community to surround them where they live. That's another, that I just don't understand. If you want to do that, that's all you. But me personally, I like meat, and I'm going to continue to eat meat. I had but, an awesome cheeseburger um, last yeah. week for my birthday that was ooey gooey and delicious. So for those of you who don't like um, burgers, uh, sorry for the description, but yeah, it, it was definitely worth going and I even well, drove, they can eat their plant burgers now. That's they have true. That. 
you'd have to have ooey gooey stuff mm-hmm. on that for me. So I wouldn't have to take this <laughs> burger. But for me to drive an hour to go eat a burger, it says a lot. So it turned out to be worth the drive. We like meat, but yes. but Amy did not. She was a strict vegetarian. Um, so that's important. We'll bring that up later. But so she gets home from school around lunchtime, like 12 p.m. They said that was normal. Um, I never got home that early from school, but. <laughs> Maybe she was a senior. You know, sometimes they had um, early Well, release. back then you were allowed to, like, leave campus and stuff. And now I'm now like, they're a little more strict about see, what you do. Let's see how old. No. We have an age <laughs> difference here. When you were in high school, did you get to leave campus your senior year to go get lunch? I didn't have a driver's license. Was it allowed? Nor, I think it was. Maybe. Possibly. Not sure. We were able to leave at lunch. I didn't I drive. I rode the bus my entire high school career. Oh, Melissa. So. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hitched rides after 10th grade. Mama wouldn't so. let me do that. I had to ride the bus. Well, thankfully, <laughs> I knew the people. I didn't I didn't ride with anybody like on the no, road. No, even if they anything. were like my best friend across the street, Mom, Melissa won't ride wow. with anybody. I rode the bus. Awesome. And I didn't get my driver's license until I was you know, 18 and well after I graduated. But anyway. Um, I think that's a great idea, especially now, <laughs> the way things are. So no, she, no. she gets home from school around 12, and this was March 5th, 1974, and she was supposed to meet some friends downtown to eat lunch. And so before she left, she calls her dad, Ned, at his job, and she asked to borrow some money. And this is, this is hilarious to me. I know it's 1974, but... Um, a lot of my source material came from Unsolved Mysteries, and they, you know, do the reenactments. And to me, it's just, it's hilarious. The drama kid in me just likes the uh, the dramatization of it. But she calls her dad and asks for $2. <laughs> and now to go get that burger, you'd be like, hey, dad, can I borrow $20? Yes. $25 for a tip? And yes. Yeah, definitely so, not $2. A different time. So I would love to eat lunch for $2. <laughs> me too. Now you can't even get your drink for $2. You can't even leave a tip for $2. Yeah. Or like you said, get a drink for $2. Yeah. So her plan was to travel to her father's job and pick up the cash she was going to borrow and then go downtown to eat with her friends. But she never made it to either place. So around dinner time is when her mom started to kind of worry. And so she called the friend that Amy was supposed to meet. And the friend was kind of angry because she thought she'd been stood up. Amy never showed up. And so then, you know, they get the police involved. And now it's a missing persons case. And it is actually still an active investigation today. So even though there's been a deathbed confession that she was murdered, we'll get to that later. It's never proven Stuff is still flying around out there. Rumors are still going, so we do not know where Amy is. So, police interview everyone in her circle like they always do. Her family, her friends, her acquaintances, anybody at school, teachers, anyone that would come in contact with her. And they could not find anything that was incriminating or suspicious or worth checking into. Um, so, it sounds like it just had to be a random type yeah. of act. And her brother, Josh, he, he just remembers, like, the house was very busy. There was always people in it. The phone was ringing off the hook. You know, it was like the, the center for, you know, flyers being printed out. Just busy, 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 busy. And um, a couple of days after she went missing, um, they got a phone call. And mm-hmm. that was from two 16-year-old twins that claimed they had her, and they had Amy, and they wanted $30,000 ransom money. Wow. And so that lead was jumped on, and then it ended up being like a hoax. And so they got arrested for um, and charged for extortion. They got thrown in jail. So nothing is new under the sun because people have been doing that forever. Yeah, and, th- and I think that's why they keep certain 
stuff secret from the press and kind of keep it close to the chest because they don't want all that information out there. So you have someone who calls and has more information than what, what they're supposed to have specific questions. Yeah. But, um, so her camera, you know, she liked to take pictures. So she did have a camera with her and that was found at Wildwood exit on the Florida turnpike. So her camera did show up, um, like she was hitchhiking. That's Mm -hmm. the theory. She was hitchhiking to her dad's office. Um, and the film was developed, but the images were overexposed and the only ones that did turn out gave like little or no clues. It was random images, stuff that didn't make any sense and, um, had no leeway to this investigation. Only to a 17 year old girl would pictures make sense. Well, now, now if you look at a 17 year old's camera or their phone, it's like, you know, a million selfies (laughs) (laughs) with like nothing in the background. (laughs) Unless they take one in front of a mirror. Yeah, and then you get the background information. Uh, So then, like, pretty soon, another call comes in that seems worth checking out. So this time, it was an unidentified female caller tells Sue that she knows what happened to Amy, that she was taken by a local biker gang called the Outlaws. So we're in, you know, 74. We're in Florida. So biker gangs were pretty huge all over the United States at this time. And, you know, they're criminals with long rap sheets. They, you know, they're rowdy. They're loud. They have their own little, you know, hangouts. And people are afraid of them. There was really a kind of phobia of them. Like, wherever they were at, people were really nervous. Um, But they had a right to be because most of them were criminals, like I said. Um, So there was two rival biker gangs in Florida, the Outlaws and the Pagans. And so it was told that she was taken by the Outlaws. And so Sue did some digging and found out that same time Amy went missing that same day, a biker um, gang was seen. A chapter of the, the gang was riding through Coconut Grove on their way to Daytona for bike week, ah. which still happens is bike week is a huge thing down there. Yes. And so the Billing Billings actually had a connection with the outlaws. Oh, and wow. And so she How called it a favor. Yes, they had a they had a family friend who had apparently done some legal work for them because um, they need lawyers too, I guess. And um, so he arranged a meeting between two important gang members and Sue. Okay. And again, this is where one of those Unsolved Mysteries dramatizations is just a classic. Um, so they meet at her house. Okay, why? Uh, well, one, I wouldn't, I wouldn't meet at your house, or you know, I wouldn't give them where I live. No way, but, yeah. But in the um, dramatization, you know, it's, it's she's nicely dressed and she's walking up to these two <laughs> big burly bikers, sticking out. She sticks out her hand and she's like, "Welcome to my home. How are you?" <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure that was a scary situation for, to I put herself think, into, yeah. and I would be the terrified. Drama. The drama doesn't um, probably accurately picture it, but no, it's definitely an older older show where acting classes might have just been a little yeah. bit um, <laughs> sparse back then. So it might be good to check out. But yeah, I would think it would go down a whole I mean, a whole different road because <laughs> I sure wouldn't be that friendly. No, I thought might have taken my daughter. So she, you know, I like so to she invites them in. She invites them into her house. And she shows them pictures of Amy and she asks them if they recognize her. And they say that they don't. But they tell her that this, it happens all the time. Like, this is nothing new. Like, bikers take girls, you know, their property and they sell them, they trade them. 
And, you know, they could trade them for as little as a credit card or a pair of pants. Like, they, they call them their old ladies and their property. So, they're forced to make money and support their lifestyle. And so, they'll, like, drop them off and make them work at, you know, strip clubs or, or wherever. And right. then take their money and not let them have anything. And, and then when they're not of any use anymore, they just get sold to somebody else for something. And a lot of times they make them do drugs and oh, yeah. things like that. Or either run, like, be the mules and, yes. and, 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 you know, get involved with all that kind of activity. Um, so, they took the pictures with her and told her that if Amy was in within their organization, they would let her know within a couple of days. Because they're not liars or anything. Yeah, I'm well, sure they of tell course, the truth. Of course, being true to their word, you know, was something that was highly unlikely with known criminals. Sue never heard back from the members. So, once she meets those two guys and they take the pictures, now they have pictures of, of Amy they're just gone. So she and they're going to know, hey, we're going to hide her. So yeah, well. she's like a high profile, yeah. you know, this lady's really looking for her. Well, um, that might have upped her value a little bit. That's true. Because she's within missing. the organization. Yeah, that's true. Someone's looking for her. Um, but Sue did come in contact with Gina Andrew. Now, she was a young girl who had fallen into the biker gang traps and escaped years later. By the time she was 13, she had already been sold four times. Mm. And once just for a pair of pants, like she said. And so she escaped when she was 17. Wow. So that's just. And to think, like we've talked about before, it's continuing to go on. And, you know, this is one story out of millions. Oh, yeah. There's no telling how many how many women and, and girls have gone off to the same fate. But So now we're in June. So this is three months after Amy vanished. So, Sue tracks down some outlaw members that were going through Orlando, which is 160 miles south of where they were. So, she travels down, and she goes into any and every store. She's got her pictures of, of Amy, and she's just asking people in the street. She's asking people in shops. She's, you know, hunting down biker bars and, and trying to shake down and do her own little investigation. But she runs into a gas station attendant, this, this manager, who actually recognizes Amy. And she'd been in there a few times, and she was always with two bikers. She was never by herself, and it stuck out to her because she always bought vegetarian vegetable soup. Oh, back to that vegetarian lifestyle. And so Amy was a vegetarian, and Sue had missed her being in the area by about a month. So she knew that she was alive, because who else would buy vegetable vegetarian Right, soup? with bikers. With bikers. Yes. <laughs> and the cashier was able to identify her picture. So she was, that would be the last good lead that Sue would get for a long time. So now you jump to a year and a half later. Sue gets another call. And this was on January 9th, 1976, which was Amy's 19th birthday. Um, she's contacted by Paul Branch. He saw a picture of Amy in the newspaper. So he calls and tells Sue that he actually owned Amy for a little while. And that he agreed to meet with her, but only if he could take her to his house. So, okay, we'll, we'll get to that in a yeah. second. <laughs> because we watched the reenactment. Yeah, there's, an, there's another but, conversation. <laughs> um, so, does he call out of remorse? Or does he think there's money involved? We don't really know, but, or do you know um, why he might have reached out to her? Because, I mean, if you're not sad that you did that or have some remorse... Or you well, she money. wrote she wrote a book. Sue Sue wrote a book um, detailing her whole her whole life on how she spent all this time searching for her daughter. Did not read it. Did not have time to read it. But the um, article that I read, Paul reached out to her and kind of helped her a little bit. 
but then there's another there's a whole towards the end of his life something else happened so i'm not really sure okay where he was coming from but he probably had some kind of i mean he had to have had some type of motive i would think not just out of the goodness of his heart but then again i don't know maybe so you never might be something good to research if you're curious if you're a curious mind i want to read the book because this lady i can't imagine just like going into strip clubs and biker bars yeah. and like, that would scare me like yeah. even if i was looking for somebody I'm, we never know what we're gonna how we would act if that was you know, we were put in that situation that's that true. just seems scary she's lucky to be alive yeah that's true because they could have easily gotten rid of her for just asking questions that's true yeah. and she didn't have any police like she had no one backing her up she was just doing her own thing trying to find her that's daughter right. um well, maybe if she looked like she does in the drama um, conversation <laughs> And was very nice and hello, nice to meet you. Maybe. Well, that's another thing is uh, they all have moms. You know how like mama's boys. So I think they kind of related to her on that level. Yeah. Um, And which was why. And she didn't have police. It was just her. Like, I'm just a mom. Where's my kid? That maybe she won some of them over and maybe they really did want to help. Yeah, maybe they're heartless. But, um, so she, okay. So then he tells her (laughs) she's got to come back to his house. But he's got a driver on his bike. Okay, that's so she says goodbye to her husband and hops on the back of this bike with this biker so that he drives her to his house. And she and herself in her interview with Unsolved Mysteries was like, I did not know if I was coming back. I did not know if I would see anybody ever again. And she just she she needed information. So she had to go. Just kind of so she went get on my bike. Yep. Ride with me. So okay. So he, she goes to his house. Yep. He takes her to his house. And he was really nervous. He was shaky. Kept looking out the windows. He was worried about being followed. Um, so she just bathed and him riding light. an old lady, not yeah. an old lady, but a mom <laughs> figure on the back of your bike. People aren't going to like. You're not going to stand out. I don't know why he was nervous. If his, if his biker friend saw him, he might not be such a tough guy anymore. If he was yeah. taking taking mom for a first spin. <laughs> but um, so you know, she just begged him like, "Hurry up! Tell me about Amy. This is her picture. Tell me what you know about her, so I can find out if, if it's really her you're talking about, or if you got her confused with somebody else." And so he described her as being really quiet, like almost mute, like just did not say anything unless she absolutely had to, um, which was a descriptor that kept coming up with people that would recognize her photo. They always described her as mute, okay. as really afraid and just quiet and not, you know, just doing what she was told, kind of just behaving, Submissive. which is what could have kept her alive all this time if True. she didn't, because we know you and I both wouldn't be like that. No, I would have already been <laughs> disposed of. <laughs> So, and he also, this was very important. He told her about a scar that she had um, on her lower abdomen and it was from a surgery, but Sue didn't tell the police that information or the press, like no one knew about that. And so for him to offer up that piece of information, let her know that this was really Amy he was talking about. Um, And so she begged for his help. She's like, you are my last hope. You have to help me find her. And then, of course, the Unsolved Mysteries dramatization, it does not disappoint. So he agrees, and and this particular actor, he's like, yeah, okay. When I went into the joint, I left her and my bike with my bro. I got to find him. So he agrees to help her. (laughs) That's how it went down. That's exactly how it went down. Um, The drama kid in me just wanted to reunite that. (laughs) (laughs) So a few weeks later, Paul actually calls Susan with some news. So he claims that Amy is with some outlaw members, but now she's in Tulsa, Oklahoma, over 1,200 miles away. 
So Sue's like, yep, meet you there, buddy. So she just hops on a plane or drive on, drives or however she gets herself to um, Oklahoma. So this is in June 1976. Apparently, Paul had arranged for them to meet at a tavern in Tulsa. Oh, okay. And it was supposed to be the plan that Amy was supposed to be delivered to him. So I don't know if he gave Sue the impression that he, like, bought her back or, like, whatever it was, they were going to bring Amy home. So Sue's like, yep, I'm on board. Like, yeah. Get me in this this tavern and we're going to go. So she actually packed her bags, had them ready to go. She thought she was going to have to grab Amy and just run to the airport. And, like, she was going to fight off this biker gang and she was just going to bring her daughter home. So they go into this tavern and he sits her down at a table and he's like, I'll be right back. And as soon as he walks away, like, a brawl breaks out. Oh, like, wow. people are throwing chairs. Every biker is fighting for themselves. She didn't know she was going to get, like, hurt or, or shot and, like, just craziness. And someone grabs her and, like, leads her out the door into a waiting cab that's running and, like, pushes her in the cab, taps the hood on the cab like they do in the, in the <laughs> movies, and it goes straight back to her hotel. Oh, wow. So, obviously, that was a setup like, to make yeah. her believe that we're going to get her daughter back. This is what's going to happen. And, to send, like, to scare her, yeah. I guess, and send her on her way. Yeah. And that, you know, I've, I've read some and researched about biker gangs. <laughs> and so... That is typical when they just start brawling in the middle of a public setting. So a lot of that went down in yeah. California. And a lot of times they don't ever, like you said earlier, they don't get called or prosecuted for it. So, all right. So then she sent back to her well, hotel. Right. But in she, she never talked to Paul again personally, but she found out that both of his knees were broken in the fight. Um, and we don't know if it could have been a legit deal. Like maybe he did think they were going to bring Amy and then surprise they weren't, they were just going to attack them and he gets hurt. Um, so we don't know his side of the story, but he didn't want any more direct contact with her, but he did talk to her lawyers Oh, and he okay. did give them a tip that he found out that she was in Seattle. Okay. According to his information, Amy was in Seattle. And so we're, we're going to take a little break, so but not, then Sue's going to okay. go to Seattle. <laughs> okay and we're back and i have forgotten where i left off because shannon was just gonna let me talk this whole entire podcast with a tick crawling on my head and yeah well no that was eventful break yes so i saw i saw the spot that i hadn't seen before because you know we sit beside each other every week and then we see each other walking sometimes well yeah now it's getting lighter but i um noticed the spot and so when we i kept waiting for her to take a break <laughs> and i was you know said hey is that a yeah, but yeah very casually hey by the way do you have a mole on your forehead <laughs> like no what are you talking about oh well it's been there the whole time i'm just gonna wait till you had a break so she's gonna let this you know tick bite me and you know give me lyme disease the entire podcast until yeah. we decided to take a break but but it's off now. Yes, but now I feel all creepy, creepy. Yeah, and Alyssa's not <laughs> used to the the woods. <laughs> I don't go out a lot. She's the city girl. No, I, well, I prefer the country during, to a city during the winter. During the winter and fall, <laughs> not the summer when it's hot and snakes are out and all the you know. So hopefully, I'm not a camper unless you give me an RV that has you know air conditioning. So I'm yeah. Not. So, um, but we took care of the ticks, so now we're back. <laughs> And now that you know, I may in the future. If she has another one. I'll just say it. And we'll just stop we just won't the stop the podcast. We we'll just we'll just take we'll just take the. I don't know if you can handle it. 
So. I think I'll be okay. No, I don't take ticks off, but she was really brave. <laughs> she took that thing off. I was like, it oh, had to go. Yes, she did. Go. Oh, no, I feel like people probably need a shower. Okay. Well, Sue's in Seattle. That's yes, we Sue went off. to Seattle in November of 1977. Yes, November 1977. So she's in Seattle and she hits up the biker community for information. And by this time, she'd already had a heart attack. I wouldn't doubt it. And so that. she's still like, whew, going off. Um, so that didn't stop her from visiting every bar, biker shop, tattoo parlor. She had her pictures of Amy and she, she even went to all the topless bars, like all the strip joints. And she's just asking for information and then eventually reached some people because, you know, she's just a mom looking for her daughter. She made that connection. She had no police with her. It's like, I don't even have police. Just, just tell me, I just need to know where she's at. And so a lot of people recognized her and described her as mute, just like in the other cities. So that was kind they of coincidental Amy and, described and her. Um, okay. gave her the same description that she was, you know, almost mute. She was quiet. And so that gave Sue more hope that she was still alive and just being traded within the biker gang and, and traveled all around. So again, she leaves with no new leads, but she has hope that she's alive somewhere. She's out there. And so now it'll be 18 more months before another lead would surface. Wow. That's agony. Just agony, I would think. Whew. So now we're going into the winter, which is Melissa's yes. favorite. She's looking for ticks, yeah. guys. It's her favorite time to walk in the woods. Yes. No snakes, no ticks. You have snow. You have cold ground. So 1979. Okay. So we're in 1979. A caller, a male caller calls and informs Sue that Amy's at a truck stop in Reno, Nevada, and her life is in danger. So she had been beaten up, she's drugged, and she's here. Like, I'm here, I'm looking at her. If you want her, come get her. And so the FBI follows up on that lead, and there was a biker gang that recently was at the truck stop, but there was no way to confirm that it was Amy traveling with them or that it was the biker gang, that you know, the right one that they were looking for. And so, again, the trail goes cold. You know what's fascinating to me is that so they were in Florida when this happened. Yes, taken but, in Florida. But now everything's happening out west. Yep. So it's almost like there is a grain of truth in there because every phone call is always somewhere at Seattle, Nevada. It's always somewhere out west, mm -hmm. it seems like. So, you know, why would they keep this out west thing going when they had come to Florida for Biker Week? Oh, uh, so well, hold on. We're, we're, we're about to get on. Well, I know, well somewhere yeah. totally different. Yeah. <laughs> But this was just, you know, to me, I thought, okay, those are Western places. But you're right. We're getting ready to. Well, if, well with human trafficking that goes on nowadays, you got to look at, like, the I-95 the I corridor, right, like, where corridors. we're at. So, it's the east, east Coast is really easy for New York and Florida. And then you can just shoot across to, you know, to the West. and But 40 wasn't in existence back in the 70s. No. And so, you know, it makes it seem more like it would have been a biker gang that just came across. United States to go to Biker Week, and then because Daytona Biker Week was a big deal, and then they might have um, gone back. But I don't know; it's just interesting to think that possibly. So, anyway, she um, they called her that she might have been at a truck stop, and then yep, there's no way to verify that because we can't. You know, they didn't have like um, CCTV or like surveillance cameras. You can't just pull up something and find out what you know what had happened. So if you didn't catch it right in the moment, it was pretty much. Um, they were ahead of them. They, they couldn't catch up if they, they yeah, tried to. That makes sense. So, so now we go, it's 1992. So this is years later. So a private detective named Virginia Snyder, she calls Sue. She had gotten a tip from England. 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 Okay, so that seemed to point out that okay. Amy may still be alive. 
even though this had been 18 years since she had vanished. So her reasoning is so she's working on an unrelated case with an investigator in England. They're doing their own thing. And he just happens to be at a post office where he gets approached by a biker. In a post office. Okay, yeah. So okay. this is when Unsolved Mystery is beautiful. You have the guy in a sweater vest. And he's like this. He's at the post office. And here comes this, you know, biker dude with his leather vest and chains. And he's like, hey, man, you're lonely. I got a, girl, I got a girl for you. You can oh, buy her. Word. Yeah. <laughs> so bad. But apparently this biker offered him a girl for sale. And, you know, he's an investigator. So he had no interest in the deal. But he pressed him for more information about the girl because he was trying to, to find out what was going on. And so, according to the biker, she was an American. Okay. American girl. And she was from Oyster Bay, New York. Okay. But that's where Amy was born. So, they could have gotten that out of her. Right. Or, like, trying to find the newspaper. About her. Um, but, so, that was her birthplace. And so, he also mentioned she was mute. Okay. There's that word again. And so, it's the same descriptor that kept coming up. And the guy asked for a picture, but the biker just, like, gave him this crazy look and walked away because he didn't have a picture. Um, But, so, then he let Virginia know that that was like, hey, this is kind of weird. Guess what happened to me today? And so, she's like, well, wait a minute, because I'm in Florida and I know about this girl, Amy. And so, that's when she reached out to Sue. But um, within a year, the British investigator, he died. So, there was really no way to follow up on what he had going on, on on that side of the pond. And I guess at this time, Sue couldn't just jump and go to England because they had to sell their house. I mean, all this investigating and traveling around and, and staying from place to place was probably eating up a lot of their yeah. their funds. So that lead, unfortunately, couldn't be followed up. Was, that they rode a bike all the way over there. So. <laughs> That's you could bike on the ferry, yeah. I guess. <laughs> um. <laughs> But so, so that, I mean, because you think about airplanes now, like you said, we have all the technology to see who's flown or they can. Yeah, you can't a, see who like who checked their passport, or yeah. who bought a ticket and who went through security. And it's it's not it's nowhere near like it was. Um, so at this point, there was two theories floating around. So you've got all this time that has passed. So you have the police and the FBI who are like, no, this, this girl is gone. She's dead. She was probably dead right after she got taken away. There's no way she's still alive. But then you have the private investigators and Sue that was like, it cannot be all these people who recognize this picture, who tell me the same things, that she acts the same way. Like, she's got to still be out there. If she could make it the first couple years, maybe she just, right. just found a way to adapt and she's part of that that culture now and she's doing what she has to do to, to survive. Even though she's getting traded and moving to different cities and maybe she's still valuable to them. Um, so she couldn't just believe that she was just dead and gone. Right. Um, so Sue believed Amy was still alive. But there was something else going along this entire investigation that Sue um, had to deal with. So this entire, like, 20-year span, she was also receiving phone calls from the same male voice who would taunt her to say that he had Amy as part of his sex ring. And, of course, the calls got very graphic. We're not going to repeat them. But it was just constant. And she couldn't change her number To get away from this guy because everybody else was calling with the tips about the biker gang that she was going to follow. So she couldn't lose that avenue of information coming in. And so she just had to keep taking these calls. And he would make them from a payphone, And so they seemed untraceable. But unlike the last case, we're in 1995 now, he used a cell phone. Oh, okay. And so this cell phone was actually able to be tracked. So they got a name for the caller and it was Henry Johnson Blair. He is a U.S. customs agent. 
Oh, interesting. He was well respected. He busted like a bunch of of rings in other countries. Like he traveled to South America and busted up some like trafficking rings. And he was well versed in how it, things yeah. worked and stuff like that. And um, he just said the calls were a hoax. Like he never knew Amy. He read about it in the newspaper. And this was his way of coping with stress was to call and torment this family and, and his alcoholism and that were his way of coping. That is insane. <laughs> literally. That so, is, I mean, how, how are you, why are you going to torture somebody just to relieve your stress? So again, with all the information that was out about the case, he would call with just enough details to make them think that he knew something was going on and he kept this going for 20 years. Wow. And so he was sentenced to two years in prison for the calls and Sue sued him for a civil lawsuit, which she won and was awarded $5 million, which they said his job allowed him to afford the payout. So, again, maybe I might want to be a U.S. customer. Uh, yes, what do I have I mean, to do to qualify? That was in the 90s, and he could afford a $5 million lawsuit. That didn't even make sense. The guy's career path. If you ever thought about, you know, U.S. customs agent, get to travel. Uh, well, now, I don't know. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> but so he was a person of interest in the case during that time but remember they found her camera off the highway that's right so in some of those photos they were able to make out a beige van now it was the same color and make that henry drove at the time of her disappearance interesting so maybe she had snapped a photo on the road now, and also, in one of her last diary entries, because we know that once a person goes missing, if they ever keep a journal or diary, that's where we can really get into so their, their mindset. She had a diary. Okay. Um, one of her very last entries was that she talks about a guy named Hank who okay. wanted to take her to South America. Huh. I mean, at the time, in 1974, Henry's nickname was Hank, and he had also been to South America several times for his job. Interesting. And so he's not been officially charged, or they say he's not connected to the actual disappearance, but that's kind of odd. Did it, and none of her friends, it doesn't none, appear they knew about him or anything, so it makes you wonder, did, how did they meet? Like, I don't know how close she lived to the airport, if he's a yeah. customs agent, if that was... Yeah, I, I don't. True. I don't know. I didn't. It didn't dig deeper to that, but the main thing was he just taunted that family with the phone calls and that he got in trouble for that. So he did get in prison for the phone calls. I did just think of something, you know, early on in the story, it talks about her friend. Um, uh, <laughs> You're laughing at me, but that's yes, okay. I'm, laughing I'm still looking for I'm listening over here itching because that's, of the chick. And now I feel like I, that's <laughs> contagious. You know how yawns are contagious? I'm like, Trying to itch myself too, yes. Okay. Well, anyway, so earlier in the story, you remember her mom called her friend who she was supposed to go eat the $2 lunch with? And yeah. her friend said, I thought she had stood me up. Well, well so, maybe she was supposed to go meet Hank. Well, the reason I, I'm thinking that is because why, like my friends growing up, they didn't usually stand me up. It was, I mean, it was really, I don't even remember being stood up. And if I did, they were usually because they had just gotten a new boyfriend or something. But I knew about it and I knew why they stood me up. So if this is something wonder if Amy's done before because hmm. why would you automatically think she stood you up unless she had a pattern of behavior of doing that hmm. so that's something that would you know kind of make sense about the diary and possibly Hank because I'm not gonna just think you stood me up I'm gonna think okay there's something wrong what's going yeah. on but if you have a habit like in high school, I'd had I had friends that all of a sudden they get a boyfriend. Because if that was unlike her, then maybe the friend would have called the mom. 
Right. But because, and been like, hey, she didn't show up. Yeah. Have you heard from her? Like, what was going on? Yeah. And so she didn't even bother. She was just like, well, I'm just mad because she didn't show up. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, because I went looking for you when you didn't show up for walking one day. I yeah, drove by so your house, it, making sure you weren't in a ditch somewhere. But it's not, yeah, it's not because <laughs> I stood you up. It's because, well, I did. I, I chose sleep over walking at five in the morning. But but I wanted to find you, out where you were. Right, because you knew that that was yeah. not characteristic of me. So, I don't know. With that in hmm, mind, that she said, you know, hey, I thought she stood me up. That must have been a behavior that Amy had started. Which would make sense it about the diary be. entries because she didn't want somebody to know because he might, I guess he's older, full-time job, customs agent. Yeah, married. He had two kids. Mar so, okay. if, so he, yeah, she had to keep it secretive. So, hey, don't tell anybody. And it could have well, been a spur that's of the, the case, moment. And he thing. got away with a lot and only Which had we to don't know. pay that's $5 million dollars for it. Hey, that's, that's <laughs> another theory out there, right? So. No, well, I mean, they, because it's just weird that she would have a picture of a car that was his car or same right. type okay yeah. can't say that it was his car but the same might make the same model and Correct. a diary yeah. entry mentioned in his nickname that's kind of kind of circumstantial evidence that's right know. so but he um he was never officially charged i couldn't remember if you had said yeah that, no so. he was but see this he wasn't sorry okay so now it's a 1995 paul branch the same biker who helped sue follow all those leads center on that goose chase all across the united she states she rode to his home on the back of his bike yes he had a deathbed confession, according to his wife. Okay. So now no one has heard this out of his mouth, apparently. Right. Okay. So um, he declared that Amy had been drugged, raped, and killed and thrown in the Everglades at a biker party shortly after she'd been taken. So at first, the family believes this confession. So in March of 1998, her family held a memorial service, kind of trying to like, okay, put this behind. But then it was they began to doubt his confession because there's a documentary that was being made about Amy at the time. And the wife had reportedly got paid for that confession. Okay. And so Paul died before police could question him. And then her remains also were never discovered. So we're not a hundred percent sure if this had happened, you know, and we've watched enough crime shows and, you know, things get twisted. She, he could have, she could have said, Hey, Paul, let's set this up before we know you're dying anyway. So help I me mean, make some money. <laughs> it it, it could have been. So, yeah. But I, I don't think that's why, like, he got his kneecaps broken in that fight. And then he still called her lawyer trying to find, tell her where why she was. He, I don't think that. Why would he work so hard? I, mean, I think he was to trying her. to help. Yeah. I really do. That's true. Um, But so, Ned, this is the. Um, Father. Amy's father, okay. yeah. He died in 1992. Mm. Um, he had cancer. And then um, after three heart attacks and searching for answers for 31 years, Sue passed away on June 7th, which was the anniversary just passed, um, in 2005. So Amy's brother, Josh, still continues to look for her. And um, her parents never got to find out what happened. But we still need to ask, what happened to Amy? Um, so there's still time to find her. So at the time of her disappearance, she was 17 years old. Five, five feet, five inches, and 110 pounds. She has a two-inch scar on her abdomen from surgery. Um, dental work is on file and available, and her DNA is in the CODIS system. So the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, her case number is 600311. And if you have any information regarding this case, please contact the Miami Police Department at 305-579-6530. Or call 1-800-THE-LOST. So given that there's multiple sightings, various leads all the way across the United States, Amy could still be out there somewhere. So someone knows something. <laughs> there's a progression picture 
that we'll put up that shows kind of what she would have looked like. They think around like 54, 55 years old because she'll be 64 years old like now. Okay. Um, so hopefully she's still out there and somebody can, can get a lead in. But we thank you for listening today. So we'll have all the links for source material, pictures, contact information back up on the Facebook group and in the description for the show. Um, we'll be back again next week with another story. And just remember... Do the crime, and it'll catch up with you in time. And we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm.